You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. We're continuing our sermon series, which we've titled God For Us. We're talking about how God is for us. Pretty straightforward. And speaking of which, has anyone ever seen the show American Ninja Warrior? Yeah? There's a few, few fans in the room. I know that Cam is a huge fan. Um, but he doesn't want anyone to watch it with him because he doesn't like people talking. That's what he told me. Sorry, sorry, I don't know where he is right now. Sorry to embarrass you, Cam. Uh, I was actually thinking of, he's like basically an American Ninja Warrior. I was thinking of getting him to like do, do like obstacles and stuff while I was preaching, but it'd be a little distracting. Um, anyways, I have, if you don't know what American Ninja Warrior is, I have some pictures uh, that uh, Tina's going to scroll through. She's already doing it. Awesome. Um, American Ninja Warrior is basically it's a competition, right? And uh, there's a series of extreme and physically challenging tasks and obstacles that must be overcome and then in order to reach the finish line and then you hit the button at the end, right? And um, uh, Cam was telling me that it's like the season finale tomorrow? Tomorrow, wow. I didn't know that. So I have only seen a few episodes. So I'm not, huge, I'm not a huge fan, but it's fun to watch. Um, and of course, these obstacles that they're going through, right, they're only possible to overcome if you've trained extensively for years and are in top, top peak physical condition, right, which means only the elite athletes will, will make it to the top. Um, and even then, you know, when I was watching, watching it uh, a couple of weeks ago, a lot of the contestants on the show didn't even finish and it wasn't even like the finals yet, right? A, a bunch of them were, were, were even though they were in amazing shape, a bunch of them would, would trip, they'd fall, they'd, they'd, they'd make a mistake and fall and, and get injured or they'd get disqualified. Um, so I'm watching this and I'm thinking, you know, well, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. I, I play sports. I work out sometimes. <laughs> if my wife forces me to work out with her. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, to go through these obstacles one after another, uh, trying to get to the top of this course and, and hit that button, for me, I think for a lot of us even, that would be pretty impossible, right? That's a, that's a pretty impossible task. Um, not only are the obstacles hard and, and difficult and physically challenging, but there's just way too many, one after the other. My muscles would be done after the first one. You know, I'm going across monkey bars and like, oh, no, I'm done, right? Like, that's, that's it. Um, for me, anyways, because um, I'm old. I'm getting older. Um, I miss those days when I was young. I just do anything, you know? Uh, anyways, it's a difficult Difficult obstacle course, right? It's like basically impossible unless you're in peak physical condition. And I think this is how many of us tend to view our pursuit of God, right? We, it's like God set up all these difficult obstacles in our way and so that it basically feels like it's impossible for us to get to him, right? Almost as if God doesn't want us to find him, right? And we think, well, maybe... Maybe the most spiritually fit or the most uber-religious or, or the most intellectual of people might be able to accomplish this daunting task of, of getting to God, of finding God, but certainly not us. You know, it's, it's too hard, right? We, we think, well, maybe the ones who have their Bible memorized and, and uh, pray 24 times a day, every hour on the hour, or fast for 40 days every month, and... and 
and have their doctrine memorized and only sing hymns and think good thoughts and don't have premarital sex and don't swear and don't drink and feed the poor every day and sign statements about what they believe and then pat each other on the back about how correct they are. Maybe those people will be able to get to God. Those people that are in peak spiritual condition, right? But for most of us, man, it seems hopeless or or, or like we're hooped or we're struggling. Basically, we're lost causes in this American Ninja Warrior competition to God's kingdom, right? And and, and we're all walking away with sprained ankles and broken wrists and frustrated. And and, and some of us have, have been hit where the sun don't shine, right? I saw that when the episode I watched, actually. And so we're walking away and, and, and we're just feeling wounded and, and exhausted. And we're thinking, why is God making this so hard for us? It's like he's locked up the gates of heaven, right? And he's doing everything in his power to keep everyone out so as not to disturb his, his holiness. It's like God isn't for us. But I'd like to suggest that maybe when we start feeling that way, because we've got it all wrong. Or as we talked about last week, just wrong enough that we're looking at God incorrectly. Right? So hear me out. Maybe, maybe God hasn't placed those obstacles that are keeping us from him. Maybe we did. And maybe the fact that we're not able to overcome the obstacles is the point. Because maybe God is the one breaking through and overcoming all those obstacles to get to us. Maybe God is the ultimate ninja warrior. Maybe God is for us after all. Turn with me to Luke 15, 1 to 6. I'm pretty excited about this message. This morning. Luke 15, 1 to 6. All the tax collectors... And sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders When he arrives home, he calls together all his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost sheep. Let's pray quickly. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could be here this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for us. And and as we as we discover and we talk about how how that love is incredible and amazing and how you are for us. Lord God, I pray that you would, you would just write that on our hearts, that we would truly receive it this morning and that it would change our, our perspective of you and, and, and in turn just how we live for you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've, I've never shepherded sheep, um, so I'm no professional, but I'm guessing that if I was a shepherd, I probably wouldn't leave my 99 sheep for that one sheep, Right? From both an economical, you think, what a jerk, right? No, but from both an economical and common sense 
uh, standpoint, right, it seems to me that the smartest and best course of action in that situation would be to protect what I still have, hold on to the things that I still have, right, and just count my losses and leave that lost sheep to its unfortunate fate and be like, oh, you know, too bad that sheep's gone. Maybe we'll put a Facebook post, say anyone seen a sheep. But that's, you know, as far as I would, I would go, right? But the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, the good shepherd, he's willing to put it all on the line to go and find that one lost sheep that's been separated from him. Which is incredible. And this is a perfect reflection of God the Father's heart here as well. That he's a pursuing God. That he's tearing through the fabric of creation. He's, he's coming into our mess to find and rescue his lost children. Ezekiel 34, 11 to 12. This is what Jesus is alluding to in his parable. God says this. The Lord God proclaims. It says, I myself. This is God speaking. I myself will search for my flock and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out the flock when some of the flock have been scattered, so will I seek out my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered during the time of clouds and thick darkness. In other words, he's the one that pursues us. He's the one that seeks out and finds us and rescues us and provides for us and brings justice for us. It's not the other way around. We're the lost sheep scattered in every direction, wandering in the darkness, right? But he's the shepherd that's chasing after us, not wanting to leave anyone behind. Joshua Ryan Butler writes, wrote a few of his books this summer. He writes, we speak of searching for God, exploring spirituality, and finding faith. But what if we have it backward and God is the one pursuing us? What if our job is not to go find God, but to stop running and hiding, not to discover the light, but step out of the shadows, not to earn God's love, but just simply receive it? Jesus reveals a God who comes after us, who is on the prowl, hunting down his world for reconciliation. And the question we're left with is not whether we've been good enough, jumped high enough, or sought hard enough. The question is, do we want to be found? Do we want to be found? Well, to answer that, we have to, first of all, be able to admit that we're lost. I've been lost before, many times. Actually, as a kid, I've been lost a bunch of times, right? Like separated from my parents in the mall or a grocery store or stuff like that, right? I was lost when we were camping once, um, riding my bike and just, you know, got lost. My parents are freaking out. But I've never actually felt as lost as I was last February when our, when our family, family was in Florida. We went to Orlando. We were going to Disney World and stuff. And it was early evening on, on this particular day, about a week into our vacation. And I was on my way back to our rental villa from a day of shopping at Disney Springs, which is on Disney property. And Disney property is huge, like the size of Lethbridge, right? And, and, or maybe even bigger, I don't know. Um, 
And Audrey, of course, she'd, my wife, she'd stay behind to keep shopping. Um, but it was bedtime for the kids, so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll take the kids home, uh, being a nice guy. Uh, so it was just me and our two kids in this rental car, and, and um, I'd driven that route back and forth from Disney property back to our rental villa a whole bunch of times. Right? We were a week into the vacation. It's really familiar to me now. So I knew where I was going. But the only problem is that as, as I was driving out of Disney property, I hit, I hit two detours on the way. And all of a sudden, I found myself, you know, being spit out of Disney property onto a freeway I've never seen before or heard of before. Uh, and, I, and I couldn't turn around. I was, you know, I had to go with the traffic. And so here I am following the traffic onto the freeway. And I, got, I was getting a little anxious at that point. Uh, but, I, but I, you know, I, I tried to calm myself down and I decided, you know, Let's be rational here. I'll take the next exit off the freeway and just turn around and come back so I can just get my bearings. So I was trying to just be calm, but I guess, you know, I was saying it was not the end of the world. I'll find my way. Um, but I guess I wasn't as calm as I thought because my kids started, you know, the kids can like feel that, right? So the kids are like, oh, are you okay, dad? Like, where are we going? Um, you know, stuff like that. And, and I saw so I turned around, you know, I turned around. I was like, it's okay, kids. It's okay, kids. You know, I, I got this figured out. Don't worry about it. So, so I'm driving along this freeway, and I see this exit ramp. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe I can exit off of that exit ramp and then you know, pull a U-turn and come back around and then go back towards uh, D- Disney property. That's what I was thinking. And so I hesitantly went up the exit ramp and hoping there would be a place I could turn around up there. Um, only problem is that the worst possible scenario occurred when I got to the top of the exit ramp and exited off of it. There's a toll station right there. And there's a lot of toll stations in Orlando that are super annoying. Um, and this toll station only took prepaid e-cards or loose change. That's the only way you could pay at this toll station. So I could, and I had neither of those things. And so here I am sitting at the toll station, and you can go through the toll station, but you'll get a $150 ticket. And I didn't know what was after the toll station and if I had, would have had to come back through again. And so that would have been like a $300 ticket or something like that. And so here I am just sitting in my car, at this, staring at this toll station. I can't go forward, right? I've, I, I don't know where I am in, in, in all of the United States. I'm, I, I don't know where I am, right? Um, it was getting dark out. There was no cars around for some reason. Like the freeway I exit off on was super busy. And then I went up there and there's like no cars around. It was like eerily uh, weird and silent. And and I couldn't ask for help or anything, right? And so I also couldn't like jump over the meridian onto the other side of the bridge because there was actually like a gap there. So I'm just stuck on this this bridge staring at this toll station going like, what am I going to do? Uh, and so I sat there trying to figure out my options. I had none. My kids are freaking out in the back seat. I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. I know what's going on. Um, I felt really bad for them. Um, I was lost, right? What was I going to do? So a moment later, I became that guy, that, that idiot that drives the wrong way down an exit ramp <laughs> on purpose. I'm cruising down that exit ramp, praying that no one's going to be exiting up the exit ramp. And so I just, yeah, I turned, went down the exit ramp, and got back onto the freeway. It was uh, an embarrassing nightmare. 
to say the least, but it was my only option. And uh, <laughs> eventually I made it back to the villa, obviously, because I'm, I, you know, I'm still alive, I'm here. But I did spend a half an hour more driving around Orlando, trying to find my way, pulling U-turns, trying to find my bearings, refusing to use my phone because I'm, I'm Dutch and I'm super cheap. It costs too much to use at a country, uh, seven bucks. It's way too much. Um, eventually, though, eventually, though, I, 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 it was more just stubbornness and pride, right? Eventually, though, I just, I just had to give in. I got Cheryl going again. Yes! It's three weeks in a row. I, so I had to admit to myself, right, that, that, that I was completely lost. I was completely lost. And that, and, <laughs> come on. Now you're just hurting my feelings, Cheryl. <laughs> Anyways, I had, to, I had to admit to myself that I was completely lost and that I wouldn't be able to find my way on my own. And so I reluctantly and humbly turned on my phone, paid the charge, and let Google Maps tell me where I was and where to go. Google Maps is God in this analogy. <laughs> Mor- moral of the story here, though... One of the morals of the story is that being lost is no fun, right? It's, it's terrible. It's a weird and helpless sensation not knowing where you are or, or where to go, right? It's, it's, the, it's one of the worst things. And, and without Jesus, as it says in Ephesians, we're, we're lost in this world. We're, we're wandering in the darkness, following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, right? We, we might pretend that we know where we're going. We might stubbornly think that we can find the way back and figure, figure all the mysteries of the world out ourselves, but we're lost. The good news is that God's pursuing us. And when we finally come to that realization that we can't do it on our own and we just surrender to him, we'll find that he's right there, right? Knocking the door will answer. In other words, he's right there waiting to lead us home. But again, it's not easy to admit that we're lost, right? It has such a negative and embarrassing connotations attached to it. But let's back up because there's a key, key idea in, in that story about me being lost that, that we kind of overlooked and we kind of just assume. And it's that I could only say that I was lost because I had a place that I was supposed to be. Do we get that? I was lost not because I didn't belong somewhere, but because I did belong somewhere and I just didn't know how to get there. I think of it like this. If you see a lost dog poster hanging up on a tree in your neighborhood, what's the assumption that you're going to make right there? Right? simple that the dog must belong to the person who put out the poster and is offering a reward. Right? Our assumption is that the dog belongs to someone and is loved by someone, and that's why they're looking for it. That's why it's called lost. Right? To, to be lost implies that we belong to someone or belong, to, or belong somewhere. When we look at the parable of the lost sheep, right? That one lost sheep belonged with the shepherd. If it didn't belong to anyone or if nobody cared about it, it wouldn't be lost. It would just be a sheep with no home. But Jesus calls the sheep lost because it has a home. Because it belongs with the shepherd. Even when we read through the Bible, we find that it's the lost 
that are actually the loved. The lost are the loved. It's the lost that Jesus pursues and befriends. Why? Because it's the lost that belong to the kingdom of God. In fact, that's the reason Jesus told this parable, right? He was being ridiculed for for eating with sinners and tax collectors, for hanging out with the lost. So let me ask this, just throw this out there. Do we view the lost in our community that way? Do we look outside these church walls and see the homeless or the prostitute or the druggie or or the transgender guy at Starbucks or the cranky elderly woman that nobody visits or the guy who just got out of prison or the crooked politician or that annoying co-worker who thinks it's funny to demean women? Do we see them as just lost causes that God's not interested in so we're not interested in? Because they're too far gone and we're, we're too righteous. They're too dirty. They're too guilty of sin. Or do we see them as God's beloved children that have just strayed from home and just need to be found? For real, do we see them as, as just people to be avoided at all costs or condemned? Or do we see them as people to be loved and befriended? Do we see them as people who, who should be invited to sit with us and eat with us and worship with us? Because the glorious truth is that God's on a relentless pursuit to find them and bring them home where they belong. And we as the body of Christ, we're called to be his hands and feet in doing that. Just as the shepherd does and did for each of us and still does every day that we wake up in the morning and every time we sin and every time we're prone to wander, right? He pursues us and he brings us back with grace and love, with with mercy and compassion. And I love that image that that Jesus describes when when the shepherd doesn't just find the sheep and say, "Hey, hey, follow me. Follow me, I I know the way. No, when he finds the sheep, he takes it over his shoulder and he carries it home himself. He carries that burden. right? Because when we truly love something, that's what we're willing to do. We're willing to do anything to get it back, whatever it takes, however long it takes, no matter what the burden, no matter what the sacrifice, no matter what it costs. It's like during that scene in every romantic comedy, every, every single one of them, where, where, where the woman is about to get on the plane, you know, and then the man who loves her is like, no, and he's speeding down the road and he's weaving in and out of traffic and, and he doesn't care if he's going to get a ticket. And then when he gets to the airport, he leaves, he leaves the car just sitting there. He doesn't care if it's going to get towed. And then he's running towards the gate and, he, and he's pushing people over and, and he doesn't care what they think of him and, and he's fighting through the security guards, right? He doesn't care if he's going to get arrested because his sole purpose is to, to find this woman and, and stop her from leaving and going the wrong way because he loves her, right? That's, that's the pursuit of God over us. We're running the wrong way because we don't know where the right way is and God's chasing after us and pushing over obstacles and removing anything in the way to get to us. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save the lost. We've probably heard that, that verse so many times that we just like gloss over it. But think of how incredible that statement is. That Jesus came to us, right? The Son of Man, God the Son, in all his glory, set that aside, came into creation to find us and save us, right? The Word became flesh for us. And faced hunger and poverty and temptation and pain and betrayal and even death on the cross to pursue us even into the depths of the grave. He's the one running this obstacle course, right? And conquering it and destroying it and slaughtering it. Also, he could carry us helpless, lost sheep over his shoulders and bring us back to where we belong. This is the character and desire of God. And we see that through the whole Bible. Right? The cross is certainly the pinnacle and, and victory of God's pursuit. But from Genesis to Revelation, we see a God relentlessly and passionately pursuing his people. Right, We're Breaking down every barrier to get to them. Even though they keep turning from him to, to chase after their own passions and idols and, and gods and, and whatever else. But yet he never gives up. In fact, I think maybe too often we, we, we pull out our Bible and, 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 and we look at it like it's this rule book or a book of guidelines on, on how to get to God or how to impress him by, or how to live a good life. Or, you know, we have to follow all these, these rules. It's like a handbook for, for jumping over all these obstacles so that we can, we can get to God. But when we read it like that, we're reading, we're reading it all wrong. Because that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is the story, the narrative, the gospel that reveals to us not how to pursue God, but how God is pursuing us. When we read it like that, it just opens it up. It's not about how we get to God, it's how God came to us. It's about a holy God comes to unholy us in order to break down and overcome the barriers of our sin, our pride, our stubbornness, our temptations, our brokenness, our pain, our self-righteousness, our confusion, our idols, our denials, our rebellion, our trials, our hopelessness. The list goes on. Our mess in order to find us and restore us and clean us and comfort us and bring us back to where we belong in his presence. It's a story about the good shepherd finding the lost sheep and throwing a party to celebrate that we've been found. It's a story about God bringing his kingdom to us. It's a story about how God is the one overcoming the barriers of sin and fighting the spiritual powers that separate us from him and try to keep us from him. And he's literally overcoming hell on earth to do it. In other words, to put it simply, God is for us. God is for us. He's relentless for us. No matter what. There's nowhere we can hide. There's nothing standing in the way of God's glorious pursuit. Not even the gates of hell can prevail. He's busting right through them to get to us. Psalm 139, 7-12 says, Where could I go 
to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there, your hand would guide me. Even there, your strong hand would hold me tight. If I said the darkness will definitely hide me, the the light will become night around me, even the darkness isn't too dark for you. Nighttime would shine bright as day because darkness is the same as light to you. No matter where we go, God's pursuing us. And even after we've been found by God, through the grace of Jesus, right, he, 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 he still doesn't stop pursuing us. He continues to pursue us even as we learn to live for him. Psalm 23 verse 6 says, Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the Lord's house as long as I live. Some translations translate that as the Lord will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness will follow me. But that follow doesn't, doesn't cut it. It's not, a, not the correct interpretation because it's way more intense than just him following us. Right? No, he's pursuing us. He's chasing after us all the days of our life. God pursues us. And I could go on and on about this, and which we, we will in the coming weeks. But I want to wrap it up by saying to all of us, first of all, especially to those that, that aren't feeling it this morning, that God hasn't give up, given up on you. And he will never give up on you. Even if you've turned from him, or if you're feeling distant from him, or if you've sinned against him and you're feeling ashamed, or if you're feeling unworthy of his love, or even if you're just not sure about this idea of God in the first place, doesn't matter. He's still running after you. It's not in his nature or his character to quit. He's with you. He's for you. He loves you. He will not abandon any of his sheep, especially if they've strayed. Through thick and thin, through good times and difficult times, he's in pursuit of you. Let's go back to the big question then. Do we want to be found? When Jesus tells the parable of the, the shepherd finding the sheep, who's his audience? His audience is mostly Pharisees and lawyers. And lawyers back then were about Jewish law, right? So these are religious men who thought they had it all together. They thought their good works and their doctrines and their intellect uh, would get them a place at God's table. They thought they had found the way of their own by following the law to a T and even creating more laws to make sure that they would be able to follow the law. They they were the type that thought they didn't need to be found. Really, though, and as as Jesus uh, points out to them throughout his ministry, uh, they didn't want to be found because their pride wouldn't let them admit that they were lost. As it says in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Simply put, no one one can get to God. No one can run that obstacle course and get to God. 
Again, as it says in Ephesians, we're all lost, wandering the course of the world. We can't get to God. We're lost. But again, to be lost means that we belong with God, though, that we're meant to be with him. And so the cross, then, is not only our hope, but it's the good news that since we can't get to him, God came to us. As, as Butler again writes, at the cross, God is with us in our God-forsakenness. The Father enters our plight through the Son and in the Spirit to bring us home. Romans three twenty two twenty four. We read verse 23, but it's wrapped around in verses 22 and 24, which says, God's righteousness comes, right? It comes to us. Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, for all who have faith in him, there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory, God's glory. There's no distinction. But all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by Jesus Christ. Jesus died and defeated death to find us, to save us, to bring us to God. No one is out of reach. You are being pursued by God, and he refuses to give up on you. But do you want to be found? If so, I encourage you to just surrender to him. Turn to him in faith and believe in his name this morning. The work is done. God's love has been given to us freely through Christ. All we have to do is receive it, respond to it. He came to save the lost.